And now in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. From verse 27 of Mark chapter 2, we find these words of Jesus. The Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. I'm old enough, as I think some of you also probably are, to remember how Sundays used to be when they were very different days from what they are now. I'm thinking back to my childhood days here in the 1950s. Then Sunday felt like a very different day from the other six days of the week. Very few shops were open, and certainly no large supermarkets, because they were still a thing of the future. Little, if any, sport was played on Sundays, and even as children, I remember, we were restricted by our parents as to what games we could play, especially out of doors. Most theatres and possibly cinemas were closed, and therefore life on a Sunday tended to revolve around the home and the family with Sunday lunch as the focal point. And then, of course, there was church. Twice to Sunday school, morning and afternoon, with also some time spent during uh, the morning service. And then even sometimes, if it was a special Sunday, evening service as well. So you don't need me to point out to you how very different Sunday is now from what it was some 60 or so years ago. Perhaps it can be summed up by saying that the distinctiveness of Sunday as a special day, a day that's very different from the other six, has largely disappeared. And, that, and whilst some of my generation and older might really wish that we could get back to those Sundays of my childhood, the vast majority of people, I suspect, are really quite happy with Sunday as the kind of day it is now. But whether we want Sundays to be as they were, or whether we are happy with Sundays as they are now, what attitude do we take to the observance of Sunday or the Lord's Day? And what questions do we need to be asking of ourselves and society as a whole about Sunday? Well, a good place to start is the two readings that the lectionary has served up for us today. In that Old Testament reading, we heard from the book of Deuteronomy, how the requirements of God were laid out in the fourth of the Ten Commandments that Kena spoke about earlier. In short, keep the Sabbath day holy and refrain from any work on what was a day for the Jews the seventh and final day of the week. 
For them, it was essential to rest because God had rested on the seventh day from his six-day working week involved with creation. And then in the gospel reading, we came across the Pharisees, those self-appointed guardians of the law of Moses. They were scrupulous in enforcing this fourth commandment, indeed, along with the other commandments as well, and in working out how the commandment should be applied, especially determining what was deemed to be work and what was not. In the gospel passage, the Pharisees clash with Jesus in two separate incidents, and they accuse him of Sabbath-breaking. In the first incident, Jesus and his disciples are said to be reaping by plucking corn and eating it as they pass through a cornfield. And that, of course, constituted work. And then in the second incident, Jesus is again accused of working by healing a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. The Pharisees protest that this man could have been healed on any of the other six days of the week. Why did it have to be on the Sabbath, thus breaking the law about working? So is Jesus, who declared that he had come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, really guilty of disregarding God's commandment and breaking the Sabbath law? Well, Notice how Jesus responds to the charges that are laid against him by the Pharisees. In the first incident of the cornfield, he quotes what King David and his companions did when they were in need of food. They ate the bread of the presence kept in the temple, which was not allowed to be eaten by law, but was allowed to be eaten in exceptional circumstances by others than the priests. David and his companions were at the time on the run for their lives. In such circumstances, the law could be transcended to save life. And secondly, the same kind of argument applies in respect of the healing of the man with the withered hand. Jesus challenges the Pharisees with the fundamental question that lies at the heart of Sabbath observance. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? In other words, Jesus is asking, is the Sabbath intended to be life-enhancing or life-denying? And he indicates what the answer to that question should be when he makes that declaration. The Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. The Sabbath then was a creation of God, instituted by God to benefit humankind so that it could give, save, and enhance life. It was never intended by God 
that humankind should serve the requirements of this divinely instituted day. That would then become life-denying. The Sabbath then should be life-enhancing in what it is about. So how does this principle proclaimed by Jesus help us in a very different world from that of Jesus' day to guide us in our observance of Sunday? And how does it help us to witness in the right way to society about how Sunday should be kept so that it enhances life for all? Well, I think there are two significant points that need to be taken from this. And the first is to reflect on why God introduced the Sabbath. It was principally intended as a day of rest and renewal. God seemed to feel the need for that himself in the act of creation, not to be about creation for seven days of the week, but actually to rest when his work was finished. And that divine intention was given to human beings to say, life is not all about work. Life is about other things too. And just as work is important, so is rest and renewal as well. The problem the Pharisees created was that this basic principle became lost from sight because of the huge raft of legal requirements, or we might want to say, to quote Keener, silly laws that the Pharisees established, covering every aspect of life. In some ways, previous attitudes towards Sunday in our own context have highlighted the same issue. The life-enhancing intention of the Sabbath gets lost in a legal and moral framework about what is allowed on a Sunday and what isn't allowed on a Sunday. So in the end, people begin to say, I don't see a lot of sense in this. I don't see a lot of purpose in all of this, why some things are allowed and some things are not. Why do we have any rules or silly laws about the Sabbath? Anyway, so perhaps a better approach to adopt is to take the principle that Jesus enunciated and to apply that principle firstly to our own lives and then to the life of society. So we need to ask ourselves, is the way that I observe Sunday enhancing my life and the life of others around me? And is the way that we as a society, we as a nation, are keeping Sunday, is that life-enhancing, or is it life-denying? Is it doing good, or is it doing harm? But you know, this principle goes much wider than one day of the week. Kina made very clear how good her sabbatical had been, how it had given her opportunity for stepping aside from 
10 years of ministry and being able to read and to relax and to reflect and to renew herself in so many different ways, apart from swimming, of course. And that was a gift from the church. And rightly, it's a gift from the church. And equally, we need to see the Sabbath principle as a gift from God. Not about keeping rules and regulations on a particular day, but about bringing that principle of rest, of reflection, of time aside, of time apart for life-enhancing things in life to make that contrast with our working or with our everyday lives. It's about making sure that even if we have to work on a Sunday, we find rest at other times of the week. That we have got right that life-work balance that we talk so much about these days, but one that we can easily lose sight of. That we give time to ourselves and to others and not just time to our activities or to our work. That our families and our friends and our relationships have also got a place of importance in the whole scheme of things in our lives. So that we have actually got a right balance in our lives And it's not just about what we do on a particular day of the week. Are we observing that principle properly in our own lives? And if so, are there ways in which we can encourage other people to have that right kind of balance in their lives too and encourage society to adopt that Sabbath principle in life as well? That's the first point. The second point I want to draw out of this is the way that we as church, in particular, mark the Sabbath. The fourth commandment established the Sabbath on the seventh and final day of the week. On the other hand, the New Testament stated the importance for Christians of marking the first day of the week as special. The day on which Jesus rose from the dead. For the early Christian communities, this, of course, was a normal working day. But nevertheless, they would find time in it to meet together, to worship, to break bread, to share fellowship, much as we still do today. What early Christian practice emphasized through keeping the first day rather than the last day of the week special through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus was this. It was the way the church was saying, through Christ's resurrection, the kingdom of God has broken into the kingdom of this world. And because of that... The day on which Jesus rose from the dead has become the first day of a new creation, linking it to that first day when God created light and began the whole work of bringing creation into being. Through the resurrection of Jesus, the kingdom of God comes 
to engage with the kingdom of this world. And so we see a process in which the old order of things is passing away and the new creation that is the kingdom of God is coming evermore, a reality in the life of believers, in the life of the church, and in the life of the world. So everything that we as disciples of Jesus are about should be life-enhancing, not life-denying. That's the first thing. And as we witness to our faith at the cutting edge of the world, as we proclaim by our lives, in our words, in our deeds, that Christ is risen and lives within us, then we should manifest those signs of the kingdom in the way we live. So we should be kingdom people seven whole days of the week. We should be people who are about constantly showing to others the love of God in Christ, the care and compassion that comes through following Jesus and taking his example on board, through the service that Jesus taught us to give to others by showing to other people not only love, but bringing into their lives healing, reconciliation, and forgiveness. In this way, we proclaim to people the first day of the week and what it means by living out the implications of Christ's resurrection seven days out of seven and 24 hours out of 24. But there's a sticking point here. And it's this. The church and Christians have something of an image problem. Over a long period of time, society has taken the view that Christians are killjoys. That we are more about what people shouldn't be doing rather than what people are doing. Now, to some extent, this may be a, a false perception rather than a true reality. But it isn't difficult to see that some long-standing Christian attitudes towards not only the Sabbath, but towards life in general, have created in many people a lasting impression that we are actually more in the business of denying life than enhancing life. And the only way that we are ever to change such misconceptions is to live out as followers of Jesus those kingdom principles that look to implement what the first day of the week truly signifies, the reality of the coming of God's kingdom in Jesus. And to live out our faith in such a way that people in the end have those misconceptions changed and they begin to see that we are really about enhancing life and not just denying it. That we are people who work through that commission that Jesus gave when he said, I have come that you may have life, life in all its fullness. So then, Today's readings about the Sabbath make two very important points for us as individuals, but also as disciples of Jesus. First, the Sabbath principle that Jesus gave us 
teaches us that God is concerned about the wholeness and well-being of each and every one of us and of society at large. So we constantly need to ask whether we've got the balance of our lives right, whether our lives are actually enhancing life for ourselves and others or not. And secondly, the way in which from the earliest times the church has kept and marked the first day of the week when Jesus rose from the dead should encourage us to proclaim in word and deed the life-enhancing reality of God's kingdom to share with others the life that Jesus came to bring, to declare by the way we live, by what we say, by what we do, that that new age is coming. In fact, it is already here. And with it, there is the prospect of life, true life, the life that is life indeed, life in all its fullness. So if we can take these two points to heart and apply them in our lives and in the life of the church, then perhaps we and others too will come to appreciate the truth that Jesus gave us, that the Sabbath was indeed made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. Thanks be to God. Amen.